Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, I'm Dave Tish. So if I told you there is a realm of reality which you cannot see, hear, taste, or touch, filled with all sorts of crazy monsters that do evil things and influence the reality as we see it, you would probably think I'm talking about Stranger Things, season four, or perhaps some sci-fi book or novel or movie that I had been watching. You would not perhaps immediately think about the biblical authors and their view of reality, but that's what I'm talking about. And that's where we are with this new sermon series. It's called Unseen, in which we talk about what the Bible says about the supernatural. It's a very kind of weird topic to get into because it feels so alien to us. The worldview of the ancient writer's of scripture feels so distant. And so to help with this, we know that we're not going to be able to say everything. I've got Jake Kim here in the studio, but in addition to that, I wanted to point you to one more thing. We've put together a webpage on our website. It's westgatechurch.org slash unseen dash resources in which you can go there. And there's a whole bunch of not only books and other resources, but some videos from the good folks at the Bible project to help you understand just the idea of supernatural beings and what the Bible means when it talks about supernatural beings and Elohim and angels and Satan and all those things. So check that out. That's again, westgatechurch.org slash unseen dash resources. And there's also some books there that have been really helpful, including, and this is one of my favorites, a famous book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters, but it's actually read by John Cleese from Monty Python. It's not just hilarious, but really deeply insightful. So check that out. And uh, with that, let's just get into the podcast. This episode brought to you by LaCroix, sparkling water naturally enhanced. This flavor that Jay's drinking is currently called Guava Sao Paulo. It's <laughs> pretty good. Brazilian Guava. Mm. Mm. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> it was not. I uh, like it. It's pretty good. My nickname in college was White Noise. Yes, that makes so much sense. <laughs> that was your nickname. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. perfection. Are we going? I think I always, so. I ask this literally. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I ask it literally. We are me. recording. We are recording. This episode also brought to you by... Oh. Pellegrino. San Pellegrino Essencia. <laughs> tangerine flavored and uh, now infused with wild strawberry. Ooh, yum. It, when it's a hot day, we need the seltzer waters, Jay. That's right. <laughs> This past weekend was, I think, one of the strangest topics yes. that I've ever had to teach on in my years and years and years of being a pastor. It's yeah. mostly because it feels like when we talk about the spiritual realm, to most people, it feels like we're talking about Harry Potter. It's like insane. Yeah. Like the oh, Avengers. And, and then we go into Narnia. Right. Uh, and then there's these other creatures that we can't see, hear, taste, or touch, and they're right. really important, and they influence the world. <laughs> right. It just feels crazy. Now, yes. 
In some ways, Avengers feels more real <laughs> <laughs> than the biblical portrayal of spiritual warfare. Right, it kind of does, I guess. Because at least you can understand. Oh, they're, 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 here's some creatures with powers, right? And they they physically exist, and they come into our dimension, and other stronger and can, good guys beat them up. You can see them. You can see. You them. can hear them. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. So, so we we're talking about. First of all, why are we talking for four weeks on the unseen realm? My thought was, and here's my guess. My guess was, as we came to the end of the Lord's Prayer, yes, it starts off beautiful, mm-hmm. like our Father, right? right? Jesus is saying God is our Father, and mm-hmm. he cares for us. And then, um, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then <clears throat> give us this day our daily bread. He's a Father who provides, and that mm-hmm. ties back to the story of the Israelites. And then, oh, there's the tough one, but forgive us as we forgive others. But that's still beautiful because forgiveness forms yeah. us into people. Yep. And then there's this clause that Jesus puts in, lead us not into temptation, yes. but deliver us from the evil one. And it's yeah. like, oh, right. it's like, what is happening? Right. Why would we pray daily about the evil one? And why are we supposed to have him in our minds? Yeah. Mike, so that's kind of why I thought you wanted to take like a quick detour before we jump back into Matthew. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, think, I was right? Yeah, of course. Cuz we never actually talked about that. Yeah. And I just wondered. No, the end of end of the Lord's prayer segues nicely. It it felt like okay, we've just taught on this incredible prayer. It ends with this line. It's simultaneously it's very familiar because a lot of people know the Lord's prayer, but we also don't give much credence to uh, what that part of the prayer actually means. Like we have to remember Jesus is teaching his disciples and is teaching us to pray this prayer all the time. All the time. This is not frequently. Like, yeah. Not a like, one time a year. He says, when you pray, yeah, which pray is, like could this. be daily or multiple yeah. times a day. And whether you take that literally and pray the Lord, the literal Lord's prayer every day, or use the Lord's prayer as a framework a for template. Yeah. your, your prayer life. Regardless of your approach, the reality is Jesus seems to indicate that when you pray, pray consistently about all of these things, and it concludes with pray also consistently for God's deliverance from the evil, evil one. and the evil one. Oof. So if that's true, then then we can safely assume there is an evil one who is up to no good, essentially. Sure. And God longs to and will deliver us, rescue us, protect us, keep us out of harm's way um, on a daily basis. So so then what that means is on a daily basis, uh, and I say this not to strike fear, as we talked about this past Sunday, it's actually not about living afraid. It's actually about living aware and then living in confidence and in the courage of knowing that God essentially has our back, you know, and is with us and for us. And there's nothing the enemy can do to truly harm us. Right. But um, that is not to say, though, that, uh, you know, we should ignore the enemy. Right. Or, um, you know, I think a, a lot of us probably maybe if we've been going to church for a while, I would assume most of our folks who listen to the afterward, you know, have yeah. probably been either following Jesus for a long time or they're really, really interested in deepening in their walk with the Lord. Um, so especially for us, I think what happens a lot is we choose to live in ignorant bliss, you know, like, okay, the devil, I get it. There's a devil. It's fine. But I'm just going to not think about him that much. I'm going to, uh, you know, like focus on 
Jesus and my life and uh, the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's great. None of that's bad. But the Bible seems to indicate that living with an awareness of the enemy, God's enemy and our enemy, is critically important. Jesus talks about the devil a lot. Yeah. You know, all the time. So, and so does Paul, who wrote two thirds of the right. New Testament. So, and we yeah. opened up with like a smattering of these. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis the enemy yeah. occupied territory. Yeah. That is what the world is. Yep. Christianity is the story of the rightful king, how he's landed, you might say landed in disguise. Yeah. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Yeah, so, this is D Day. Yeah. And then, and then Paul talks about, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, being strong in the Lord. And our struggles not against flesh and blood, right? But against rulers, and you think, oh, oh, so it's against like kings and right. bad emperors? Right. No, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right. And then Peter's like, hey, there's this roaring lion, prowling lion that's yeah. wants to devour, to devour you. Yeah. Yep. And Paul says the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Yeah, like what? Like this, such such strange. I mean, it's all over the Bible. It's all over, which is why we have. Once to, you start looking for yeah. it, you see it everywhere. And yeah. honestly, I think what I tend to do is I materialize things. Yes, I just flatten the world into what I can see, hear, taste, and touch, and that's my tendency. I think because I live in the twenty first century. Yeah, I just think that that's just what I do. Yeah, I mean, we live in a material world that is a part of God's design. There's physicality imbued in God's plan for human experience Mm -hmm. um but it's not all we are yeah the idea that the only thing that's real is the thing that we can see touch hear taste whatever that's actually a pretty modern phenomenon and you could argue well it's a modern phenomenon jay because science science has disproven these weird yeah the we're enlightened yes you know And we know that volcanoes are not actually Hephaestus right, right. firing up his or you know his his <laughs> right. forge yeah. to make the Zeus's thunderbolts. We know yeah. that they're magma movements yes. and, and tectonic plate shifts. Right. So we're not fools. That's right. why. And GI. we're not we're not anti science at all. I mean, no. I think science is a tremendous gift. But it is a in my estimation, it is a I mean, you know, chron- C. S. Lewis again, chronological snobbery. It is chronological snobbery, meaning it is real, real narcissism to say every generation of humans before us had everything wrong, and now we know. You know, but that's what now we believe we know as modern best. people. We believe right. that we're because of you, science. Yeah, because, you see that you see that attitude played out, where like our IQs are higher. Yeah. We're just better. We're just better and smarter than our forebears who lived 150 years ago because they're idiots. Right. And they didn't even understand the people in the Civil War died because they didn't know you should wash your hands after you wash, you know, wipe your butt. You know, it's like it's it's like they died of dysentery yeah. because they didn't understand germs. So obviously we're smarter. Right. And I think in a certain sliver of humanity, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that is true. We are more scientifically advanced. We are more advanced in terms of knowledge. Knowledge. I, I don't disagree right. with any of that. But there's a whole specter of human experience, right, wrong, truth, morality, in yeah. which we really should be in conversation with the sages from the past. Absolutely. And the fact that we feel that we don't need to be or that we can just discard or throw them away is really foolish. Yeah, I mean, the, the classic example is, 
you know, in in this this argument that happens in secular society. So Steven Pinker is a great example yes. of this, right? He essentially will argue. Uh, this Steven is, Pinker, like, a secular, uh, would you say cultural commentator and philosopher? Yeah, philosopher, yeah, social historian. His argument basically in a nutshell is this is the best and we are awesome, right? <laughs> like... Like, the world's the, better than it's ever been. It's better. And we're just and getting better and better and better. And the reality is you can do whatever you want with data. So sure. if you if you present data a particular way, you can make a very compelling argument. Oh my gosh, this is the best human experience has ever been. Right. That's how, that like sure, you could totally make that argument. It's a fair argument. You know, but the critique uh, against the Steven Pinkers of the world. And I'm not actually like totally anti Steven Pinker. He's got Pinker. lots of interesting things to I say. I think he's yeah. wrong that yeah. th- this is the best and, and we're on our way to utopia or whatever. <laughs> Although I'm putting those words in his mouth. He hasn't really necessarily said that. But, um, you know, the classic example is uh, human beings killed each other. At, we, we basically killed one another at a higher rate in the 20th century than in all centuries before. Right. And some of that is because of population growth, but even like percentage wise. World wars. We literally Holocaust destroyed one another. Cambodian regime, all of it. In un liter- overused word, yeah. but a seriously yeah. mathematically unprecedented levels of destroying one another. So if all this knowledge, if all the scientific advancement truly has helped us achieve whatever, some level of utopia or human progress. Then even just the numbers, the secular or like the hardcore factual numbers betray that that thought, you know. Yes. So well, I, Nazi Germany was at the pinnacle of academia, of robust yes. thought. They had more universities. They had a higher GDP. They had science and technology. Yes. And look what happened there. That's and, Nazi Germany. Yes. And to me, that begs the question: Is it truly all just? physical material right is it really because if it were i can't imagine that we would have seen the atrocities we saw in the 20th century and continue to see in the 21st century there there must because we have all the knowledge all the information right people have more food than ever before we have electricity we i mean like are you kidding? Like, why Why is everyone so angry? Why are we killing each other? And so even if you're not religious, you have to pause and ask the question, is this great secular human project of materialism and uh, science, scientific advancement, yeah. is it enough? And again, not anti-science. Science is a huge help, but it's, it doesn't seem to be enough. There's, there's at the root of things, there's an underlying problem that can't be fixed um, just physically, you right. know. It's not not just materially. There seems to be a spiritual problem, and the Bible uh, seems to have a lot to say about that. Right, who we're becoming. Yeah. So let me quickly outline what uh, my attempts at telling the story in a minute. Yeah, and then you make some comments where you think I've said things maybe incorrectly or imprecisely, or what you'd like to add. So, <clears throat> in the beginning, there's Heavens and the earth, God's space and the human space, mm-hmm. and they overlap in this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden, this kind of high temple mount where God and man meet, and they live in unity, yes. and that's God's good good place to, to, and he creates mankind and all the other things, and this is where man is to rule with God, 
And as mankind looked up at the night sky, they saw the heavenly bodies. And the heavenly bodies were like metaphors for shiny spiritual beings that God had also created in a spiritual realm, in God space, in heaven space, and earth space. And in heaven space, he had like all these heavenly beings, just like on earth space, there was all these earthly beings. And those were called heavenly beings. And they were on God's team and they helped and they did things. The one thing I would say is they weren't metaphors to the ancients. Oh, no, the stars yeah. were metaphors for these actual beings that actually existed. Uh-huh. Is that what you would say? No, I think they, they thought the stars were I think were the stars actually, literally were, yeah. I think they the actually ancients thought, thought, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But this wasn't polytheism. There wasn't like the Justice no, League. It is not because, polytheism. Yeah, that was the thing we needed to really yeah, caution yeah. in the teachings. Like, we are not saying there are many gods right. and worship them all. But these and are the, created beings who are lower than this yes. creator. And they One serve, creator God. Yeah. And he's and like, spiritual it's like his staff team. Yeah. But they're created like we are, but they have roles and responsibilities. But the some of them are, they turned. Yes. And one of them in particular, we meet in Genesis 3, this chaos creature, this serpent yep. that tempts the humans to do something very particular. Right. Throw off God's reign. Do your own thing and build your own world apart from God, and you'll be better off. Join me in this venture. Yeah. That seems to be his call, and he's inviting people. He wants to bring not flourishing or life or life with God, but darkness, decay, death, destruction, sin, all that kind of And yeah. there's a word for that. And some of these spiritual beings that were on God's staff team, somehow they fell, they rebelled, and they live in rebellion with that serpent creature. Yeah. Who Satan uh, is is called typically through the scripture Satan or the Satan? Yes, and he is active today with these dark powers of these fallen angels, these rebel angels who live in active rebellion, and their choice is the same as human choice, which is to throw off God, yeah. to throw off His rule, His good rule, and to not trust Him, to seize, take matters into your own hands, build your own kingdom. That's what the Tower of Babel was about. Yeah. Kind of, it's almost like reaching heaven and getting all the benefits of God without God. Yeah. And throughout human history, humans have done that with various empires. Right. In both cosmic ways, like in, in empires, but also in personal ways. Yeah. And in, in, in enacted tremendous, tremendous pain and suffering. And the biblical authors, along with the rest of the ancient world, believe there was a spiritual realm full of spiritual beings, both good and evil, yep. that existed right alongside the physical world that we can see here, taste, and touch. And that this evil realm affects and manipulates and kind of partners with human agents who have gone over to this dark side yeah. to bring about real destruction. Right. And then we can actually partner with either God or these dark forces. Right. So we have a choice as you, and that's the story undergirding kind of everything, I guess. I think so. Um, yeah. So is there anything you would add to that? Or is there any aspect of that? Do you think is kind of imprecise or that you would add to that? No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there, there are different, um, you know, sort of, there are different takes on how that sort of unfolded, how that took place. Uh, I sure, we're, we're not giving a ton of information in the Bible about how exactly it took No, place. we're not. Yeah, the Bible... It's just glimpses almost. Right. The Bible doesn't seem super interested in giving us the backstory on yeah. how the devil or the Satan became, you know, the devil or the Satan. And at, uh, this past Sunday at Saratoga when I was teaching, every time I referenced the devil or Satan, I always said the Satan. And I could tell some people in the room were a little confused. Okay. But that was like a setup for this coming week when when Steve and Karina yeah. at our campuses will be teaching on 
the devil or the Satan. And it is, like you said, the Satan, Ha Satan. It's, it's a title, right? It's a Now, do you think that word, that's so. just be, no, we're going to get into this next week, but yeah. do you think that's because he doesn't deserve a name? Like he's been so dehumanized? Oh, gosh. Or is it because it's like Voldemort? He's so dangerous that he shall not be named. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, he. You know had, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he, he has a name. You know, um, Lucifer. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'll, I'll leave that for oh, Stephen sure. Green to teach. Yeah, yeah. Let's get. But, uh, let's not step on there. Yeah, Wait. it's kind of similar to you know, like the Exodus story um, with Pharaoh. With Pharaoh, uh, many people also think Pharaoh is like the name of the king or something, but it's not. It's a title. And what many scholars believe is that the story sort of um, depicts him as Pharaoh because it, it's intended to reveal sort of his dehumanized nature. He represents, in that rescue story of God, he represents the enemy. Right. You know, and... Kind of like these evil forces personified in this. Yeah, and I, you know, this is kind of conjecture. The Bible doesn't say it outright, but my sense is that, yes, I think a part of it is to reveal the fact that sin dehumanizes us. And it, it happens to all of us, you know? It's like... Uh, you know, it's Gollum in yes. Lord of the Rings. You know, yes. you just you devolve into something less than human when your heart begins getting enmeshed with something really sinful. Yes, and yeah. or can, if we we don't even have to go Lord of the Rings, we can go more recent with Breaking Brat, Bad and uh, Better yeah. Call Saul. Yeah, it's the story of the devolving of a human, Macbeth. Right. It's, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Heisenberg. Right. Yeah. Breaking Bad is 100%. like he takes on a persona, a character, and it's like not even really a proper name. I mean, it is, but it's like it's not the name of a human. It's like a thing. You know, this sort of aura or idea of evil and darkness. You know, and um. Yeah, Walter White to Heisenberg. Yeah, that happens with sin, I think. So so let's get into this word Elohim. Which don't, don't give me uh, Better Call Saul, uh, you know, spoilers. I won't. I'm, I'm like two episodes, two two seasons behind. I got to catch up. Two seasons? Yeah, I got to catch up. Like, I know it's ending, and I'm trying to keep away from the spoilers. So You should. Yeah. May I, I will say this. I'm a, You know I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan yeah. and a huge Better Call Saul fan. The last episode that it's the penultimate episode yes. i'm not gonna give you any spoilers it was one of the most moving and powerful oh episodes goodness. of tv i've ever watched in oh my, my life where does it rank in terms of with breaking bad the hank episode so here's the thing in in my mind yeah this penultimate episode was so true and real yeah. and redemptive oh wow in ways i could not expect Mm. that it moved me to hope oh my gosh and beauty and it colored all no the way. series wow it was that's I unexpected profoundly moved wow profoundly moved by it wow i just been thinking about it all day anyway back to this elohim elohim is this term yes that's used it's a generic hebrew word that means god or gods or a supernatural deity yes it's used 2,600 times. Yeah. I, I looked at a word map, <laughs> and it behind Yahweh, um, it's the second or third most used word in the entire Old Testament. It's wow. like un, it's like used all the time. Yeah, It's sometimes used to describe God. In fact, over 2,000 times it's used to... Res- Yahweh, the creator God. and But other times it's, it's used about um, kings and powers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes it's about other gods or goddesses of other Mm -hmm. cultures Mm -hmm. sometimes it's used of demons and sometimes it's used of angels or angels of the lord it's Mm -hmm. a supernatural being yeah 
And I think what's hard about this is when we, I was thinking about this, like in Exodus 3, do you remember that moment in the burning bush where Moses encounters Yahweh for the first time? Yeah. He says to him, like um, when he encounters him, he says, basically, I'm the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Jacob, the Elohim. And I have heard the cries and I, I, the Elohim have come down. Yeah. And so what I miss in that you think, oh, that means he's a God, but Moses would have had in his mind, lots of Elohim because Egypt had tons of Elohim. Yeah. They had the God of the Nile, the God of the sun, the God of the, all sorts of things. The God of the crops, right. the God of the moon, they would have had tons of Elohim. Yeah. So the question isn't, like, are you and is this an Elohim I'm talking to? There's something strangely supernatural going on here. This bush isn't burning. Yeah. The question is, which Elohim? Yes. And what this Elohim is like. Yes. And that is just so removed from our modern understanding. Right. But the understanding that Moses would have had, he would have been familiar with gods and supernatural powers. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things we have to do first is take a step back from the word God because. In 2022, sort of modern Western worldview, when you hear God, you you probably are thinking about Yahweh, whether you believe in him or not. Right. When the, somebody says... Kind of like the Christian God. Yeah. When somebody says, hey, man, do you believe in God? Nobody is wondering, well, which one? Like, right. You know what I mean? Right. Which God? Do you mean Ra, the sun god? In ancient, no, that's not right. what you mean. Nobody thinks that. Nobody. Everyone just kind of says like, oh, oh the yeah, Christian go god. to church and, you know, yeah. Jesus. Or they're like, no, nah, man, I'm not into that, you know, weird Jesus stuff or church, you know? So we have to detach from that first and understand that the word Elohim, which happens to be translated into the English word God, doesn't mean that. Uh, it means like you said, it's a much broader word that refers to a, supernatural a, beings, a wide array of supernatural beings. And the reason that's important is because the Bible seems to make very clear there is a wide array of supernatural beings. There is only one creator God. The, you know, as the psalmist describe him, the yeah. God of gods. Yes. It's almost a way of saying there is one singular ultimate God like the one true God who rules and reigns over all supernatural beings and all natural beings and all of created order, you know? Yeah. Um, But the reason, you know, we talked about it on Sunday is to make the point that the Bible has no problem. It has no issue with a worldview that includes lots of supernatural creatures, you know, that it's not just human beings and the stuff I can see and taste and touch, and then one supernatural being called Yahweh. That's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is like what you just said, angels and demons and the Satan and, you know, all this stuff like sort of buzzing around under the one true God, Yahweh. So a couple of verses just to, because again, people are like, are you saying this is like Justice League and there's like Batman and right. Superman and all these superheroes right. and, and Yahweh is just one of them. And that's not what we're no. saying because the Bible's clear on this. Like I was, um, and I think you have these in your script too. Uh, Exodus 15, who's a, who is like you among the Elohim, Yahweh? Yeah. And then Deuteronomy 3, what Elohim is there in heaven and earth who can do according to your works and according to your mighty deeds? Yeah. And First Kings, oh Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no Elohim like you in the heavens above or in the earth beneath. And Psalm 97, for you, O Yahweh, are most high over all the earth. You are highly exalted above all the Elohim. 
So this Elohim's all powerful. He's the sovereign king over all the other Elohim. He's the creator of all the Elohim, other Elohim. That's yeah. a big deal. And he's the lone Elohim who is worthy and deserving of worship, both by humans and the other Elohim. Yeah. So that's that's the framing for this. Now we don't find that out. Moses doesn't know that yet. He's yeah. about to find out. Yeah. But he doesn't know that yet. So that gets us away from polytheism, I think, where people are a little bit confused. Because I think growing up, people said that all these other gods are just made up. Right. They're just like fic- fictions of um, uh, of the minds of right. humans who want to create idols. Right. They're I- idol nothingness. Yeah. But I think when, when, when the authors are speaking about how they're empty or nothing, it doesn't mean that there's nothing. It means compared to Yahweh. Well, it means stripped of power, right, yeah, right. like disarmed, as right. Christ does to right. um, to the powers, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so that just feels weird, though. I think to a lot of people. Yeah, totally. It feels weird to me too. Yeah, you know, I we just don't live in that. That's not our worldview. It's not our natural yes. worldview. Which means that there are principalities and powers and small g gods in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Who yeah. are trying to do a thing. Yeah. You know, we're going to do a, a, a Zoom call with Dr. Gary Brashears. Yes, we are. Uh, from Western Seminary, dear friend of both of ours. And we will get into that with him. I can't and, wait. And it's going to get weird. It's going to get real it's weird. It's going to get super okay. weird. Yeah. So let me ask you the final question. Um, oh, actually, there was a funny illustration about the the Elohim. Here's how I think about it. Um, when Moses asks, like, what kind of Elohim are you? What's your name even? <laughs> like, yeah. tell me what's, I need to know more about you. What kind of God are you? Yeah. What kind of Elohim are you? I think about the ancient Egyptians and Moses's worldview would have been, uh, the example I gave was David Kim, our buddy yeah. David Kim, yep. who works here on staff with us, dear yeah. friend of both of us. Um, if I said to you, do you know David Kim? You'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if I just said that in San Jose, there's 30 David Kims in San Jose alone. <laughs> you looked at Yeah, I looked this up. There's amazing. 30 different David Kims. <laughs> so if I said David Kim, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy's so tall. And you'd be like, wait, what? I don't know. Yeah, he's married to Je- Jenny. But like, no, yeah, no, no, right. no. He's, right. he's, that's not, yeah. he's not married to her. That's you not, have other data on David Kim. Yes, Kims. I do. It, or if I went to Milpitas... <laughs> I looked this up. If I went to Milpitas and said to people in Milpitas, do you know David Kim? Yeah. There's more than 150 David Kims oh in goodness. Milpitas. What? Yeah. And if I went to Sunnyvale. Yeah. There's more than 300 that David Kims. That can't in, be possible. It's, yeah. David Kims in Sunnyvale. More than 300. You can't throw a rock <laughs> in Sunnyvale and not hit a David Kim. That the, is the, incredible. The point is that you have to be specific about which... David Kim, you're talking about. Yes. And it's tied to a story in his name. Right. And so I think God, Yahweh, is trying to say the same thing. Yeah. There's lots of gods out there. But I'm the only one who hears your 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 cries, your suffering, comes down, gets involved. Yeah. The God of Abraham, the one who is creator of all these things in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so that's really helpful, I think. Or at least that was helpful to me. Yeah. Um, final thought. Some people say... Jay, I heard you talk about how one of the reasons why this is so important is if we don't get this right, we're going to start blaming one another right, for the evil in the world. Yep. Uh, John Tyson, I think you were quoting John Tyson from yes. Beautiful Resistance, which yeah. our elder board went through. Mm-hmm. And I think, did our staff go through it? I yeah, our staff yeah. too, I think. Um, he says this in his, in his book, uh, a culture that has removed the supernatural from its thinking will not do away with the concepts of the supernatural. Mm. 
it will transfer them to the natural. Without acknowledging actual fallen angels and enemies of God, we turn others into fallen members of our desired social conditions and enemies of ourselves. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about that. Why is this so dangerous? Because some people might say, you're just spiritualizing bad people. It's like Dana Carvey in that famous skit, The Church Lady. Could it be Satan? You know, like, who made me do it? Yeah. Like, could it be Satan? The idea that I'm no longer culpable yeah. because just some dark force made me do it. Or you're just, that's a really weird way to talk about evil people. Because right. real evil happens. Right. So what do you mean by that? Because real evil happens by real people who do really evil things. Yes. And that's indisputable. Yes. But talk about why we shouldn't demonize people or why this is important in our worldview. Yeah, ultimately, God is after human beings. And uh, I understand why we... De- like, I, I I get it. What I'm not saying is like, how could you? What's wrong with everybody? Why are you so mad at each other? No, I get it. Like, I, I am often tempted to demonize other people. Um, and I think there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this. Um, one of the things I've learned, it's so interesting. One of the things I've learned in the last six months or so sort of serving in my role here at Westgate is that sometimes when people are angry, they need a, again, maybe because we live in such a material with such a materialistic worldview or something, but I think it's more than that. When people are angry or they're feeling some other sort of negative emotion, um, they need, I need some tactile, physical, visible target to, Project. Project that emotion upon. I need it. Uh, And if I don't have it, often it'll sort of eat away at me on the inside or whatever. And so in some ways, I think, especially in the social media age and with kind of like the direction of news media these days, it makes all the sense in the world that we would be demonizing each other in increasing measure. Because we're angrier than ever, maybe. You know, at least that's what it feels like to me. I'm sure that that's not true, but it at least feels, it feels like, like it, yeah. on a societal level, we are we're madder than ever, you know? And um, and we need some place and we need someone to be mad at. And I think we do that uh, to each other. And social media has sort of created a medium that allows us to be mad um, while sort of, cowering behind the safety of our digital divides you know and that's a really dangerous combination um but when we do that we are forgetting not just paul's words that our our struggle is not against flesh and blood but we're also forgetting the heartbeat of god which is like for people you know god longs to rescue people even if the person is wrong on a particular matter god's desire ultimately is not to um you know smash them into oblivion because of their wrongness but god's desire is with hope that they might um uh, you know find their way to him um find light for the darkness that they're in just as many of us have found light for the darkness we're in. And I think when we demonize one another, we sort of, we betray uh, that, you know, imago Dei in us, which is if we are made in the image of a God 
who is love and after people and after people, then we've got to be the sorts of people who love and go after people, you know, but not go after them to beat them, bash them over the head because they're wrong, but go after them with love, you know, so that not, not primarily to correct them, uh, but so that they might draw nearer to God, you know, and be formed into, into Christ likeness. And so it's, it's almost in many ways, it's like a, it's a missional problem. You know, when we demonize one another, we're betraying the mission yeah. that God has given us. Um, there's lots of other issues with it too, but that's one of the things that comes to mind. It reminds me also that it, 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 <laughs> it also reminds me that it makes me have a very short memory of how lost I was. And how deceived and how dark and how clouded my thinking was. Yeah, and how wrong I continue to be yeah. on so many Well, I'm issues. not wrong now, <laughs> but I was wrong then. Um, yeah. No, right. There's, there's very little humility. Yeah. But, you know, in this issue of being rescued from dark to light, I think all of us could say, I think most Christians I know have this moment where they look back at their life and what would have been, what their life could have been, would have been, should have been, had yeah. Christ not intervened. Right. How dark that path would have been. Right. How destructive. And it reminds me of a video that I shared with my children and my wife, and they hated it, and I loved it. <laughs> it actually almost made me cry. It yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. It was a family, and I don't know where it was. It was a, a dad and his couple of kids, yeah. and they're running frantically, and they're yelling, and the dad's got like a stick. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? And this is not in the U.S. This is yeah. some other nation. Yeah. And they run, and you see really quickly in this bundle of leaves in this field, the family dog has gotten constricted by a giant, like 20 foot constrictor. Yeah. A giant snake. Yeah. And the dad start in the, and the dog's like, can't even yelp because the things around it. Right. <laughs> the dad hits the snake on the head, grabs the head, pins the head to the ground, grabs the head, pulls the snake apart. And then the rest of the family oh begins gosh. un uncoiling this giant, muscular beast of a snake out, yeah. of, out of the family. And it takes like several minutes. Jeez. Eventually the dog's almost like totally unwrapped in it. Oh the dog God. is just like almost askance in this snake. Yeah, yeah. They finally get out. The dog jumps away, runs away, barks, <laughs> runs away. Like what the heck was that? Yeah. The, the kids and then just throw the snake and they all run the opposite direction. And somebody posted underneath that. This is beautiful. This is what the church at its best looks like. Huh. And it reminded me that I was ensnared and wrapped up. Yeah. I was a goner. I was a goner. Yeah. And some people came and got me. Jesus came and got me. He sent his folks to get me. Right. That's how the image I have of being ensnared by the powers of this world. Yeah. And I was a goner. Yeah. I was a goner. Yeah. And obviously, I, I'm not, I don't have everything perfectly right now, but I was a goner. And I think that that posture of of remembering that we're all we were all enslaved to bad ways of thinking of the you know these right. bad systems that can not only lead to humility but also care and compassion for those that we know are similarly um under those you know under those bad ways of thinking or under the in lost in in darkness and yeah. that's the metaphor the bible uses and that's what it's like if you've right. ever lived in that you know what it's like to live in darkness i don't wish that on anyone yeah and so that's part of it too. Yeah, that's good. I love it. All right. Well, next week we're going to talk about Satan. So that's going to be really, really easy. <laughs> and, and then the week after that, we're going to talk even more about um, the systems, how yeah. 
individual sin sinks down and then cultures and the ways of the world. Paul yes. talks about the world. Yep. And we don't mean the globe or humanity. We mean the culture yeah. and how the culture can get off kilter yeah. in really destructive ways, historically and even right now. Right. So that's not, that's not easy either. And then we talk about, finally, the final week is the armor of God, how yeah. we can, would you say, be victorious or take steps to be victorious? Yeah, I mean, live into the already won yes. sort of victory of Christ on the cross. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if you've got questions, let us know. Um, you can always email us, and uh, we look forward to having more conversations about this. So. Yeah. And one more resources, again, go to westgatechurch.org slash unseen-resources. There's a whole slew of really fun and yes. engaging stuff that's really helped you and I. Yep. And it's really inspirational and really helpful. So go check that out, and... Uh, Jay, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All see right, you guys. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Again, stay tuned here. We're going to have lots of resources for you during this series because we understand this stuff is really kind of mind-bending and a little difficult to understand for us modern folks. So just pay attention. Stay with us. We're going to do our best to give you resources that will help you and um, make sense of what the Bible says about the supernatural realm. And also ways that don't feel overwhelming, that's actionable. And again, this week, the invitation from from the biblical authors is that just like the spiritual beings, we have a choice to make. And that our free will, um, we can either choose to follow God or do our own thing. And so that's the choice before us every day. That's the choice before me and you every day. So let's make the right choice. Let's choose God and choose submission to him and choose to trust that he's good. Um, and just let's go with that. And so we're going to continue on in that. So join us next week when we talk about Satan. Steve Clifford and Karina Gerard are going to be here to talk about the devil. And so we'll talk about all that that means. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>